Welcome back, everybody. You'll listen to another episode of Drive Into the Basket. I'm Mike, your host, here with a, well, I guess what would qualify as a free agency review episode, and we'll also talk a little bit about Summer League, which is getting started, well, for the Pistons, about three days after I post this episode. That would be Saturday, I believe, against the Magic, and they're playing once against the Magic and once against the Rockets in the first weekend, and I'm excited to say that I'm actually going to be in attendance. Uh, fortunately for me, it's a pretty quick hop, skip, and a jump up to Las Vegas. I live in Denver, so it's not a very long trip at all. And I'm really looking forward to it. It'll be my first time at Summer League, and uh, I think it should be pretty cool. So first things first, let's talk about what happened on June 30th. And it really wasn't all that much, June 30th, of course, being the start of the free agency period. So I had mentioned on the last episode, which was a free agency preview, that I expected it to be a pretty quiet time for the Pistons, in part because of the weakness of the class, but and free agency is, I think, just going to continue to be weak for reasons I've uh, I've spoken about before, largely just because if you're a good restricted free agent, you get kept, and if you're really a marquee free agent, like upcoming free agent, whatever, you don't need to even hit free agency. You just extend. You know, you just get a contract extension, and then if you want to leave, you leave. It's very very rare for very good players to hit free agency these days. And even pretty good players generally just get retained. So it was in part because the free agents, uh, free agent class, excuse me, was pretty weak, and in part just because the Pistons really had a crunch in the rotation already. Just a lot of young players to whom they are going to want to get minutes, and then just those two veterans, Boyan and Burks, who are going to get minutes too. The team wants to get them minutes because they're very good guys to have on the floor uh, to play alongside those those young players. Boyan for his elite floor spacing and his abilities as a creator. And he is a genuine 20 point per game, not on a good team. On a good team, he's not taking that many shots, but he's, he's a genuinely very, very good scorer, three level creator. Burks, not quite as much of a creator, but can do some, excuse me, can do some shooting off the dribble and is also an elite spacer. And these are two guys who are very smart, they're very savvy. Boyan's a leader in the locker room and on the court. They want to get those guys minutes. So between those two and all the young players on the team, even if you do away with Bagley and who knows what his future is with this team, they're just we're not going to be many minutes to go around. We heard about the interest in Cam Johnson. Uh, I, as I mentioned last episode, just didn't really have too much interest in him. He ended up, of course, staying with the Nets. I, I would have been interested in having Jeremy Grant back in the team. He ended up staying with the Trailblazers. Uh, a couple things about Jeremy Grant. So I, I've seen some shock at the contract, and I don't think that's an unfair contract for a player like Jeremy, who, again, is a a 20-point-per-game player who can do some creation off the dribble, who spaces the floor at a high level, who plays strong defense, and is a strong athlete. Yes, he's 29. No, that's a factor. But it's important with the cap just going up and up and up and up, and it's going to continue to go up, though fortunately the CBA limits the amount it can go up to 10% year over year. So a 10% increase from the previous year's cap, not 10% flat from when the CBA started. So the maximum that the salary cap is going to be next season is about $150 million for 2024-2025. For Man, that's a scary number. I can't believe we're almost 25 years into the 2000s already. I digress. So when you look at Grant's contract, if it has a standard structure, then it's starting him out around $28 million. That's just about 20% of the cap, and that's not a terrible going rate for a legitimate goods like a legitimately good starter I'll put it that way in the NBA a guy who could conceivably be maybe like the, the number three scorer on a contender and also he would have checked a lot of boxes for the Pistons now yeah it's going to last until he's 34 his percentage his excuse me his salary as a percentage of the cap will go down because he'll get him, be getting flat like uh 
think $2 million raises because it's 8% per year, just so flat raises. These aren't compounded versus a 10% maximum year over year compounded raises in the cap, which is, uh, again, very, very likely to happen just because the NBA is doing very, very well. Also, the TV deal coming up. As far as that upcoming TV deal, it's not going to be like it was in 2016. Again, cap smoothing. Cap can't go up more than 10% year over year. The players rejected cap smoothing. That wasn't actually part of the CBA, but the the league, Adam Silver, brought ca- the proposal for cap smoothing as a result of the new TV deal back in 2016 to the players. He wanted that cap increase to be over the course of two years rather than one. The players said no, probably because they thought they were going to get paid. In fact, the only people who really got paid were the guys who hit free agency in 2016. A lot of them got a lot more money than they ever, ever realistically deserved. And all the rest of them, all they got was the Kevin Durant era Warriors, a team that just about anybody was not going to be able to beat and win a championship, though the Rockets came pretty close. And then, of course, the Raptors did it, but it really helped that Durant and Thompson got injured. They didn't really beat the Durant era Warriors, so to speak. So uh, in any event, we're not going to see that again. But just back to Grant, yeah, it, it's not a terrible going rate for a guy with his skill set and his level of production. And also, he really would have ticked a lot, you know, just checked a lot of boxes for the Pistons. Not the greatest rebounder, obviously, he's not a perfect player, but uh, I would have been happy to see him with the Pistons at that salary. Especially because looking forward to next year, hopefully the Pistons can find some use for this cap space that they're going to be rolling over, which is going to be a lot. But there's no guarantee of that. Now, I'm not suggesting that they should have just gone out and basically wrote a blank check to Cam Johnson or something like that. But it's just, I think that if Jeremy had been available at that price and the Pistons had said no, it really would have been letting the perfect be the enemy of the good. Yes, he's going to be 34 near the end of it. I still, I think he'll still be able to provide good value at that age. Again, he's at that point, he's going to be, you know, a little bit under 20% of the cap. It's just, it's not a bad salary in my opinion. And again, it's about, it's like salaries are getting incredibly high and it's about what it is as a percent of the cap rather than what it is is just a flat number. Uh, and on that note, just kind of like a point of information, I'm sure many of you have seen the newest crop of rookie extensions for Halliburton and Lamelo Ball and Anthony Edwards and so on and so forth. Uh, just a note on those because I've seen some questions as far as, wow, that's you know that's a huge salary. These guys can get paid up to $260 million on this contract. You know What's that going to mean for Cade? So up to $260 million, that's with an escalator clause escalator clause so that if any of these guys fulfill the requirements for what's called a rose rule extension which entitles them to 20 excuse me to 30% of the cap in the first year of their extension rather than 25% that's what that refers to so if any of them get all nba if they get defensive player of the year or if they get mvp in this last season then they will qualify for that Rose Rule 30% of the cap max uh, on their extension. Otherwise, it's 25%, and that's a great deal less money. I think about $40 million less. So anyway, uh, whatever the case, all that said, yeah, very, very little happened, of course, for the Pistons. Uh, we just brought in a couple of veterans, uh, one being Joe Harris, the other being Monte Morris. Waved Eugene Omarui. Also seen some questions there. Uh, the Pistons did pick up his option. It was an option for fully non-guaranteed salary. They picked it up because, you know, it's pretty much why not. Uh, We might as well have him there while we're figuring out what to do. His deadline, his option deadline was the 28th. So ended up getting picked up. And then once they brought in or once they traded for that, I'm not sure if those trades are official, but once they agreed upon those trades with the Nets and with the Wizards, they had to waive him his non-guaranteed salary in order to get back under the cap or in order to be in position for those trades to become legal when they are executed. And I don't believe they have been yet, but that doesn't mean that they won't be, of course. 
So uh, let's talk about these two guys. So it's worth noting that... Oh, let's talk to Joe Harris first. So it's worth noting with Joe Harris, the one thing that this trade did was get the Pistons to the cap floor, and you don't have to reach the cap floor in the NBA, per se. You're not required to do so like you are in the NHL, for example, in which not reaching the cap floor will technically result in you forfeiting every game, same as being over the cap. But if you don't reach the cap floor, you are not eligible for league menu sharing from luxury tax inways. So every year, luxury tax comes in from the tax teams, and the league distributes a percentage of it back to the teams that were not in the luxury tax. So if you don't reach that, then you don't get those outweighs. It's really just kind of pointless to not be at the salary floor. And it's extremely rare for a team to do so. It's very rare for any team to even go to a season with cap space, period. So uh, in any event, let's talk Joe Harris. So came over from the Nets along with two sort of distant second round picks, 2026 and 2029. Uh, I don't have in front of me exactly from whom these were. I think one of them is from the Bucks, and I can't remember where the other one was from. Maybe Memphis. I can't remember. Whatever the case, distant second round picks. Second round picks have their uses. Now we've seen it. You know, we saw it in the draft, for example, when the Pistons traded up for Sa- you know for the opportunity to to draft Sasser. Uh, anyway, yeah, Joe Harris paid about twenty million dollars uh, on the final year of an expiring deal. And what is Joe Harris? So Harris, six uh, six and shoes about two twenty. Uh, used to be a shooting guard and small forward. Now is very much a small forward and power forward. And that's because he has had a couple of surgeries, a couple of ankle surgeries, and. The 2021, these these happened in 2022, we'll put it that way. He's played one season since then. And those injuries really slowed him down. I mean, he hadn't really been playing a bunch of, uh, excuse me, a bunch of shooting guard, even at that point, you, you know, most of his minutes, even in his final season before the injury, even if in his final two seasons before the injury were the vast majority at, at, uh, at the forward positions. But uh, we'll talk about that in a bit. So uh, what does Joe Harris bring? He brings a uh, very, very accurate three-point shooting. And that's helpful. Of course, any any team can use that. Uh, and it, it's conceivable the, fist, the Pistons will find some... I was, got mixed up there. Two words put together in my head where I was about to say the Pistons will find use. And I ended up saying the Pistons. In any case, so maybe the Pistons will find use for that. Uh, he's not the player he used to be. So he used to be a guy who would score on the low to mid-teens. You know, he did that for a few seasons with the Nets uh, on very, very high percentage from three. And, you know, could do a little bit of scoring inside the arc as well on a decent percentage. So ever since those injuries, uh, he's sort of lost a step. He's not physically what he used to be. Uh, He doesn't really have the same sort of ability. And it's not really necessarily a huge issue on offense, though it does make it more difficult for you to find separation off the ball to attack closeouts uh, and and really and whatever else. Uh, On the defensive end of things, it's definitely more painful because the guy is kind of a liability now on defense. Uh, it doesn't help that he's not, you know, he wasn't the most athletic player in the first place. It doesn't help he's not the longest player either. I mean, he's, you know, about 6'5 uh, and, and change, I believe, with a 6'6 six six wingspan. He wasn't a defensive stalwart even before that, but he was serviceable, and now he's bad. And in terms of what he provides on offense, again, pretty much just standstill three-point shooting. Uh, not the greatest motion shooter in terms of, like, catching it off the move and gunning right away. A high percentage guy, but if this were the Joe Harris of two seasons ago, rather, the Nets probably would have tried to keep him if they could duck the tax in the process because that Joe Harris was a genuinely valuable role player. And this one is a less valuable role player. So uh, I'll talk a little bit later about what I think the rotation is going to look like. But yeah, I'll talk about that then. And let's move on to the more exciting of the two, which is Monte Morris, uh, who is coming home. He grew up in, excuse me, he was born in Grand Rapids. 
And uh, I forgot to mention, uh, Joe Harris is about 31 years old. Uh, he'll be 32 when the season starts, pardon me. So Monte Morris, uh, just turned 28, six foot two, 183 pounds uh, point guard. He came over from Washington, uh, and he came to Washington in the trade that sent Contavious Caldwell-Pope over to the Nuggets, where he won a championship, of course. So uh, Monte, solid backup point guard. This guy's a high percentage three-point shooter. He's a solid playmaker. He's extremely safe with the ball, can do some attacking off the dribble. You know, solid guy to have there. Uh, doesn't really get to the line all that much, but... You know, I, I, I think that this is a solid pickup. Uh, he, like Harris, is not a particularly strong defender. I mean, Monte himself is, is pretty short-armed uh, and pretty small. Like, uh, it's, like, like I mentioned with Sasser last week, it's just a big disadvantage to be a small guy in the NBA these days. I think Morris is uh, about the same size as Sasser, I think, so between 6'1 and 6'2. Uh, he has pretty short arms, a 6'5 wingspan. And he's not like an outright liability, but guys like that, it's just, just going to hurt you when you're that size. So uh, all that said, I mean, he gives the Pistons a solid backup point guard who can do some playmaking, is most certainly an effective floor spacer, and apparently just very well loved everywhere he has gone. Also on an expiring deal with uh, about $10 million salary. Uh, yeah, $9.8 million. So, you know, nice pickup. Pistons sent out a second round pick. So quite yet. But, you know, solid guy, solid guy point guard who can step in and do some stuff. So uh, let's talk rotation. And I hope you folks can't hear the fireworks. It's uh, July 4th evening at this point. And there was supposed to be, or every year, there's this big firework in Denver, which was postponed this year because uh, our major thunderstorm warnings. So, uh, but nonetheless, people are still setting off some fireworks outside, but I don't think you can hear it. So let's talk rotation. Uh, this is now uh, a little bit of a weird roster. Not just in that you have a lot of guys who are going to be jostling for minutes, but it's also like you don't really have any end of bench guys. Typically, you have you know maybe nine or ten guys who say, okay, these guys you know on a good team, uh, you, and you say these guys. And for the Pistons, there are some reclamation projects in there, but you say, okay, these guys are probably rotation guys. You know, maybe another you know another one or two. And it's like okay, maybe they'll get some minutes, and then you get some deep bench guys. The Pist, this team doesn't really have anybody at first glance. Where it's like, oh, well, this guy is definitely just not going to see minutes unless somebody is really bad. Like Corey Joseph, or somebody gets injured, for example. Like Corey Joseph, or Rodney Magruder in particular. There's not a player like that in the roster right now. The Pistons do have, by the way, one more uh, standard NBA contract slot that they can fill. Uh, you can have as many as 20 contracts, 20 standard NBA contracts, not counting two ways, which have three. They don't count against the limit. It's up to three now, as opposed to two in previous years. So you can carry 20 of them in the offseason. You just need to be down to 15 by opening day. And also, I should note that things can always change. You know, trades can be made. And I think that probably the front office is looking to make some moves just because things are really uh, it's just going to be tough to get everybody minutes. And I'm not talking about everybody in the context of the likes of Joe Harris. I'm, I'm talking about guys doing the Pistons would like to get some minutes. Uh, there's just a bit of a glut, I'll put it that way. And part of that is due to the presence of Wiseman, who is very much a reclamation project, as we saw last season, and Bagley, who remains a reclamation project. And as far as Bagley's contract, just want to talk briefly about that. Uh, yes, Troy did pay him above market value. Yes, Troy did give him three guaranteed years, which is very much a reclamation project. My sense has always been that Troy gave that to him in the hopes that by year two or three, the contract would be a bargain, as opposed to saying, okay, we'll just give you like a one and one or just or two years, 
Uh, obviously, things really haven't turned out all that great. And uh, I sometimes wonder if the acquisition of Wiseman was sort of a vote of no confidence in on the part of the front office in Bagley's capacity to improve. And Bagley has his issues. I mean, Bagley has significant issues. I mean, it, they start on defense, of course, whereas processing is just horrible. I mean, it's 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 worse at center, where he is just a complete disaster. Like, uh, that's not an exaggeration. He is a complete disaster, as if you want him to play primary interior defender. But even on the perimeter, you make him just go through a bunch of rotations, he'll eventually screw up. Or, or his man will just loom off the ball or whatever else. And on offense, of course, fairly strong score around the rim. But uh, aside from that, doesn't really offer a tremendous amount. And for a guy who's going to have to earn, uh, who, whose defense has to improve, period. Because no matter how much his offense improves right now, unless it's up to like you know stratospheric levels, uh, this guy is just going to be attacked constantly in the postseason on defense. So, But he's a guy who's going to have to earn vast majority of his value on offense. And can't shoot. Can't really do much attacking off the dribble. He's not a very good offensive player. You know, strong role man, strong finisher. Uh, you know, pretty good at, at scoring around the rim, but that's not a lot if you're a guy who needs to find his value on offense. So anyway, so let's talk just what the rotation looks like right now, because it's just whatever. It's an exercise. We we don't know how exactly how things are going to look like at the start of the regular season. So depth chart. We've got players, of course, playing multiple positions. Needless to say. So just run through it. At point guard, getting minutes, you see Cunningham, Morris, maybe Killian Hayes, talk about that. You know, maybe Marcus Sasser a bit. Shooting guard, Ivy, Burks, Asar Thompson, Sasser. At small forward, Bogdanovich, Thompson, Burks, Livers, Harris, power forward. You know, Stewart, Bogdanovich, Livers, Harris, Bagley, and at center, you know, Duran, Wiseman, Stewart, and Bagley. So uh, there are a lot of guys. It's just going to be tough. Like, Isaiah Livers in the first place was going to be fighting for minutes, most likely. And, of course, now he's fighting with Joe Harris for minutes. But uh, I'll just get to Harris. So in lieu of injuries, and you know, even if Isaiah Livers does not play particularly well, and the organization, by all accounts, likes Isaiah Livers quite a bit. But even if he doesn't play well, even then, Harris may not see many minutes. Of all the guys in the, in the rotation right now, well, aside from like kind of on the fringes guys. So uh, of all the guys, aside from uh, Killian Hayes and Marvin Bagley, I'd say that Harris is the one most likely to see very few or no minutes, especially if Livers plays well. I mean, Harris is, is very like unlikely to see any at all. So in my opinion. So like I mentioned, Joe Harris is not exactly what he used to be. He can shoot the three at a high percentage, but physically speaking, he is not his former self. You know, who knows? Maybe like last season, he very much wasn't. Who knows? Maybe he finds his second win, though I, I think that's unlikely. It seems like the mobility he's lost is because of his surgeries. So again, the organization likes Livers. Livers might have, I mean, Harris is like a semi-washed role player and Livers may have higher upside. So I get the feeling he'll really get the chance over Harris. Uh, just all of this is to say that if everybody is healthy and things don't go wrong in the way of injuries, or a bunch of players don't just really suck, then Harris may be a guy who does not get all that many minutes or maybe just gets no minutes. You know, there's there's nothing compelling Monty Williams to play the guy. And if he's not, you know, if, if there's no reason to play him, then, then there's no reason to play him. So uh, Marvin Bagley, I just talked about him for a little while. Now, Bagley, I think that at this point, the front office probably wants to have done with Bagley altogether, just based on all the other guys they would like to give minutes to, uh, based on how disappointing his fifth season was. I mean, Bagley came in last season, and when he wasn't injured, well, when he was injured, he wasn't on the court at all. But So when he was on the court, he did not look 
very much better at all than the player he had been the season before. So I think that he'll be given a chance. It's just how much of a chance and in how he comes in looking at, at training camp and in preseason could determine a lot. But I think that the front office, if they had a chance to, they would probably try to move off of him. Like $12.5 million is not a huge amount of cap space. You know, it's a little bit under 10% of the cap coming up, but cap space is cap space. I'm sure they'd like to have that added flexibility. Maybe they'd like to do a solid for him and try to get him to a team where he might see more time. Uh, who would that be? That's anybody's guess because Bagley is a negative value player at this point. Again, his defense is still terrible. His offense is still nothing special. And he's very persistently injured. And cap space is cap space. Teams are very covetous of cap space. So... It's not just a matter of, well, he's not really paid a ton, so just dump him to another team. You're going to have to pay to get off of Bagley's contract at this point, or you're going to have to take a, you're going to have to take on a contract that another team doesn't want. And that cal- you know, the calculus there is not going to change next offseason when he's coming up on his final season because it's like, okay, well, it's less of a negative value contract, assuming he hasn't, you know, if he's improved a lot since then, then maybe the, the maybe the things change. But at this point, but if he's the same player, it's like, well... I mean, in some ways, his value has grown only even more negative because he hasn't made any more progress. But just the fact that you're on an expiring deal doesn't make you any less of a negative asset if you are a negative value player. So I'm sure they'd like to get off of him at this point. Uh, let's talk Killian Hayes. So Monte Morris, I would imagine, probably here next season. And Killian Hayes could be the the casualty of that. Uh, I've gotten some questions about what it would look like if the Pistons just got rid of Killian Hayes, if you just wave him. And the answer is that like the, the NBA CBA is very simple. Like you, If a team pays you a dollar, that dollar goes against the cap. And any guaranteed money is paid, period, unless the player negotiates a buyout that, that you know by which they are paid less, basically. So less dollars to them means less money against the cap. Blake Griffin, for example, took, I believe, like uh, a $13 million hit on the buyout uh, that was distributed between the remainder of the uh, remainder of that season and the following season. So if a player says, okay, you can pay me less money, then the cap it goes down. Of course, that wouldn't be the case in this event. They wouldn't you know, come to a buyout arrangement with Killian because he has no reason to do that at all. He's just like, okay, well, you can waive me and continue to pay me. I'll try to find another team. And then if he does find another team and he signs a minimum deal, then the Pistons don't get any of that cap space back. Uh, if he does sign something, if any player signs something for more than more than the minimum, then you start to get some back. But anyway, uh, the question, of course, becomes, you know, what do you do about Killian? Now, I'm sure the Pistons' best case scenario is that Killian comes to training camp and he comes to preseason and suddenly the guy can shoot the ball. I've said it before, I'll say it again. I, I pretty strongly believe that if Killian can just shoot the three at, you know, in the upper 30s, and again, he's got to be, I think, in this in this situation, a genuinely good three-point shooter, a genuinely good catch-and-shoot guy, so high percentage, then he will have a job in the league for a long time. Because even if he doesn't improve further, even if he is still a guy who is pretty much hopeless in terms of breaking down opposing defenses, getting to the rim, getting to the free-throw line, and can't really do all that much scoring inside the arc at all, as long as he can stretch the floor and shoot the three at a high percentage when he's left open, then... Uh, you know, and he adds his uh, secondary playmaking. I mean, he's a very good passer. He's a smart player. He's a solid defender, though I think the legend of Killian Hayes' defense may have gotten a little bit too, you know, may have gotten a little bit bloated, to put it that way, because though he's situationally above average, 
uh, wouldn't necessarily I'd call him a fairly strong defender in most situations. If you need to have him defend the pick and roll against an explosive guard, he's done. He's finished. He is not good at navigating screens. He is not good at explosive at guarding explosive guards. He he has his weaknesses. So above average defender, uh, not like a stalwart, but above average, and that's valuable. So a guy basically a three and D point guard, which is a really really weird niche. But he could make it work. He'd stay in the league. Would he stay with the Pistons? Who knows? But if Killian shows up and he's able to do that, then uh, you know, like maybe he can he can win the job as the backup next season. And Monte Morris gets relegated to third string. Uh, the thing with Killian is that there's no reason for the Pistons at this stage, in my opinion, to just dump the guy. You you take him for into preseason. You give him some time in the regular season, and you see what you have. Because if he comes out and he looks good, then you let him keep playing. And if he continues to play well, then you have options. You can either try to retain him in the offseason when he's a restricted free agent, uh, or you, I don't know, trade him at the deadline to another, you know, to a different team that, that would like to retain him as, as a restricted free agent. So I don't think Killian is just going to be shown the door. The team has nothing at all to gain by waving him unless they're just trying to do him a solid, but I don't think they would try to do him that. I don't think they would do that. That would be an expensive solid, and they would be giving up on the possibility that, who knows, maybe he's finally got it together. So I would say if I had to speculate that trading for Morris wasn't a sign that they plan to just give up on him, like just period, give up on him. It was just having another option that if Killian just really doesn't work out, then you've got a solid backup point guard behind him. Again, Monte Morris, solid backup point guard, and unlike the Killian of the past, also a a very reliable floor spacer. So uh, moving on, uh, like Marcus Sasser and, and everything I'm saying could be invalidated a couple months from now if there's a big trade. Or if, even if there's a small trade, who knows? You can see Marcus Sasser at this point, I think, is another guy who's really going to be fighting for minutes. Because even if Killian is gone, you've got four guards ahead of him between Cade, Ivy, Burks, who might think will stick around. I'd be surprised if they got rid of him. And Monte Morris. And you'll even probably see, perhaps, or perhaps see Asar Thompson get some minutes there. Just because they'll, they'll be wanting to just find him minutes where they can. So how does Marcus Sasser fit his way into there? He probably doesn't. Aside from an instance of a lot of injuries or a lot of underperformance, probably both. So I wouldn't anticipate seeing a ton. Or I don't think we'll see a ton of Marcus Sasser. Uh, Ivy, of course, is starting. Kate, of course, is starting. Monte Morris, a slide on a backup point guard. Unless Hayes manages to beat him out for the job. Um, Burks is going to, to be your backup shooting guard. Probably see some minutes at small forward. I think Monte will just want to play Bogdanovich and Burks significant minutes. Maybe about 50 between the two of them. Because they're good players they're good veterans and Bogdanovich struggles on on defense of course but he's a a scorer who can really take pressure off of Caden Ivy while also just doing always doing the right thing off the ball and on the ball for that matter so yeah you'll you'll see some minutes from uh, from Asar there I believe as well Bogdanovich at this point I think is likeliest to be starting at small forward unless Asar really comes into the summer league and then training camp and then preseason and is shooting the three at a high percentage and really looks ready, then maybe, maybe you move Bogdanovich up to small forward, or excuse me, up to power forward and you play. Uh, that's the best case scenario. You play Asar Thompson as you're starting small forward. Uh, but at this point, I would presume, whatever, I don't even say I presume, we don't really know what it's going to look like, but uh, unless he's really made a ton of progress, unless he really impresses, I would imagine that it'd be a Boyan starting at small forward. And again, Boyan, like Burks, I think will be on this team. Uh, Boyan, if you get rid of him, you're basically foisting all of the creation duties or all the major creation duties, to put it that way, onto to Cade and Ivy, who are still very young players. Cade has basically played, you know, between his two seasons, I think 84 games at this point. Ivy has one season there. 
uh, that's a lot to ask. You, I think you really want to have a veteran there like Boyan who can serve as a release valve and, and create offense for himself and not have them needing to do the vast, vast, vast majority of that. And again, also, Boyan, absolutely elite floor spacer and just a guy who's going to be able to play very well around them on offense and and really just be a good guy to play next to Caden Ivey. And who knows, maybe a star too. And again, you probably see Burks with some minutes at, at small forward as well, some spot minutes is back up there. And this is where Harris and Livers come into the picture uh, because they're two guys who are maybe going to struggle to find some minutes, depending on what happens with Bagley. Now, if the org has to choose between giving minutes to Harris and giving minutes to Livers, and, and Livers is, is playing pretty well, I think he'll get those minutes handily, without a doubt. He's only about six years younger. Excuse me, no, he's seven years younger. I don't know why I said only. He's quite a bit younger than Harris. <laughs> My point is that Livers is going to be a third-year player, and he's about 25. But the org likes him. More upside, I would say. I mean, what they want Livers to be is a 3 and D guy, a guy who can shoot the three at a high percentage like he did at Michigan, uh, play solid defense, do the right thing, make the right decision, which Isaiah Livers can do. So if there are minutes left at small forward after Boyan and Asar and Burks take their cut, then Livers will probably see those. If not him, then maybe Harris, if, there are minute, you know, if the minutes are there at all. Because if, if Asar comes in and is playing really well, then minutes go away. And who knows, maybe in that situation, you start thinking about moving Burks. The Burks, I think, even if he was playing like he was last year, probably not going to glean more than some seconds on the, on the trade market, but that's far in the future. So I move on to power forward, where at this point, I think Isaiah Stewart, again, barring Hassar Thompson really just going supernova in his first offseason, is the presumptive starter. I don't like Isaiah Stewart at power forward at all, but I think that's what's going to happen at this point. I've, I think I've, I know I've been over this. Isaiah's primary impediment in the NBA is his athleticism. He is not explosive at all. He is quite slow in terms of foot speed on the run. He is a very poor leaper. And when it comes to center, he's also pretty under, excuse me, also pretty undersized. Now you move into power forward, but center. You go back to center with Isaiah Stewart. If his perimeter defenders are not sieves like they were to start next season, when we saw that abomination of a front court of Boyan, Bay, and Stewart, which is like the most undersized, most unathletic front court I've ever seen in the NBA, possibly. I mean, I really haven't thought through it that far, but uh, it's one of them, and I wouldn't be surprised if it uh, absolutely takes the cake in that capacity. So if his, if his perimeter defenders are sieves, then he struggles a little bit more on defensive center because he's not fast enough to both relocate and jump jump to contest if he has to do that quickly. But if they are not, then he's a strong defender. I mean, the guy is a very solid rim protector. The guy is a very solid paint protector. I mean, when I say very solid, I mean genuinely very good. You know, so a very good rim protector, a very good paint protector, and a very good switch defender. That's at center. You put him there, you minimize his weaknesses because you're not forcing him to cover ground. He's just operating in the interior exclusively. He's not chasing guys around the perimeter. He's not having to chase guys through the interior. And... It, he can't really serve too well as a role man, you know, and he's, he's just, he's not a great finisher, but if he can shoot threes, which he's going to have to do with either position, then he's a guy who can participate in a five out offense and just find other ways to be valuable in the interior as well. Now you play him at power forward, you're playing to all of his weaknesses, whereas at center, you're helping to hide his weaknesses and play to his strengths. At power forward, you're playing to all of his weaknesses. Uh, Number one amongst those is the fact that his mobility is very poor for a power forward. And uh, I've seen some references to P.J. Tucker. P even P.J. Tucker is quite a bit more mobile than Stewart off the run in terms of just getting from place to place. So what does that mean for Stewart, that he has such poor mobility? Uh, it means that, number one, I mean, you're, you're playing him to his weaknesses on defense by forcing him to chase guys around the perimeter and also to cover ground through the interior. 
and teams will target him in that respect. Uh, I've referenced Horford in the past, and not in comparing the two, but at the Warriors, really, and I mean, Steve Kerr is fantastic at exploiting any defensive weakness. The Warriors really exploited Horford's not great foot speed, though he's still more mobile than Stewart, than, excuse me, by just making him run after guys on routes in the interior, and he would get there late. And that's even more of an issue for Stewart. You know, he can still, you can still switch him onto guards there, for example, but he's going to be doing just much, and, you know, and he'll do well. He's an excellent switch defender, but he's going to be chasing guys around a lot more. He's not going to be protecting the paint. He's not going to be protecting the rim. He even has trouble repositioning to help because he's not very explosive. And he's not going to come flying in to, you know, to block a shot. He's not going to come flying in from the weak side because not explosive, bad leaper. So I love Isaiah. I mean, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I love Isaiah. I love who he is as a player. He has his limitations like any, like almost anybody else. And you play him at power forward on defense, you're playing right into those limitations. And on offense, he's not beating anybody off the off the dribble. He's not bringing, beating anybody off the ball. He, he doesn't really have a very good handle. It's just he's, he's good for very, very little other than just standstill spot up threes. So basically, you're moving him from center, which, you know, provided he can shoot. This provided he can shoot at both positions. He's going to be, you know, limited on offense strong on defense to power forward where he's arguably even more limited on offense and just average on defense so they'll probably start there sorry for that long spiel sorry if you've heard it before he'll probably start there just because i don't think necessarily so much that the org wants to see what they have in him at power forward but just because he'll be considered the best option also because james wiseman for better or worse is going to be getting the backup center minutes at this point i don't think it's out of the question if Wiseman plays very poorly, that Stewart ends up just shifting back to playing the majority of his minutes at backup center. In any case, so at power forward, you have Stewart. Bogdanovich will get shoved up the lineup a little bit, but I don't doubt, and play minutes there as well. Uh, if Bagley's going to get minutes, the majority are going to be at power forward. I have strong doubts as to if Bagley, even if he's on this team, is going to be getting minutes and move injuries to other players, or him playing extremely well, like really making a gigantic leap, the likes of which he has not yet made in his career. And then you come back to Livers, who is going to be fighting for minutes at this position as well. And again, fighting for minutes there with, you know, maybe with Joe Harris, but, you know, maybe with nobody, it's possible that, again, this has come down to his SAR and health, that there's this situation in which there are just no minutes available at power forward either. And then you get to center, and of course, Jalen Duran is your starter. James Wiseman is your backup. Stewart may play some backup minutes. And, and then there's Marvin Bagley again, who just who knows. So it's a full rotation. Again, it's a rotation in which you don't look at any guy who is maybe not named Killian Hayes at this point, you know, pending what he looks like this, you know, when he returns from the offseason. But it's not kind of like that clear rotation where you say, okay, you know, here are your starters. Though we can probably say with a fair degree of, uh, of likelihood at this point who the starters are going to be. But okay, here are your starters, here are your bench players, and here are your depth players who are just not going to play unless, you know, unless somebody gets injured or unless they just need to step in and do something unless somebody is struggling. This team doesn't really have very, to have, have those players. You know, they've got, well, unless you want to count Bagley as one, but Bagley at this point, I think is less of a depth player and uh, more likely just a failure, though I hope I'm wrong. But of course, all of this could get invalidated in a day, a week, a month, three months, when we see what the team is in terms of, you know, if, if, if a trade has been made or whatever else. Uh, one last thing worth mentioning. Well, two things. Number one, Pistons have $320,000 in cap space left. Number two, the Pistons still have the room mid-level exception. Uh, now the Pistons... Any team, if you want to spend the entirety of your cap space, and in this case, the Pistons uh, are acquiring the contracts of Joe Harris and Monte Morris into that cap space, the mid-level exception, the biannual exception, and any trade exception, and the Pistons didn't have any, those all count against the cap. Those all levy cap holds. So the Pistons had to renounce the mid-level and had to renounce the biannual. So they do not have 
the standard non-taxpayer MLE, which I believe is about 13, starts at about $13 million, allows you to sign a guy for four years. Instead, they have the room mid-level, which is $7.7 million, allows you to sign, and this is the case with the regular mid-level as well, and the taxpayer as well, that you can use to sign multiple players, but for maximum contract of two years instead of four for the regular. So smaller exception, can use it to sign guys for a smaller term. Uh, the last two uses of it, I can't remember if the Pistons used the room mid-level last season. The season before, they used it to sign Corey Joseph, and the season before that, to sign Josh Jackson. Okie dokie. And uh, Hamadou Diallo, I'm, I'm just looking at his name right now because I've got, uh, I've got you know, my info sheet pulled up. I never really considered it particularly likely. I mean, I guess the Pistons could conceivably bring him back as the 15th man. I doubt he'd be super interested in that in that job. There has been no talk about Hamadou Diallo on the free agent market. Uh, Hamadou Diallo, players like him are just not all that valuable. I'm not going to harp on the importance of shooting and how much it hurts to not be a shooter, because I did that in the last episode, and I do it pretty regularly. Uh, Hamadou can't shoot. Can't shoot at all. He's a worse shooter now. Whereas he was a worse shooter last season than he was when he came in for his first kind of small chunk of a season with the Pistons. And it's just too painful. You know, he does not provide anywhere even in the universe of as much value as he would need on offense to compensate for that or on defense where he can stick to guys, but he doesn't really have the greatest processing. He doesn't really make the greatest decisions. So uh, I wish him luck. It's a disappointing outcome for me. I mean, I really was pretty high on Hamadou. If he could just get that shot together, I thought he could be a pretty darn strong scorer. But the shot didn't come together. That happens, whether it's because he didn't work hard enough or he worked hard and just couldn't get it done. Or, I don't know, somewhere in between. He sort of worked hard, but it just didn't work out for him. You know, that's where it is. It's just players with, with his skill set who can't shoot. Or just players who can't shoot, period. Perimeter players who can't shoot, period. This league is just a, a very, very unforgiving place for them. To them, rather. All right, so uh, let's move on to a bit of a summer league preview. Uh, I don't think there's necessarily a ton to say. And, oh, I'll just go over the schedule a little bit, actually, first. So... The Pistons play their first two games on the first weekend of Summer League. So Saturday the 8th against the Magic, Saturday the 9th against the Rockets. Then the third one, Wednesday, against the Raptors. And then uh, finally against the Spurs on the 14th, so the following Friday. And then if they make it to the championship or the consolation, I'm just reading a consolation schedule. I don't remember exactly how it worked last year, but they might play additional games. So uh, in practice... Teams typically will not play their draft picks every game, you know, two or three. Generally, most don't play the full four or beyond that. So if you're just going to catch a couple of games, you're definitely going to want to catch the first two. And as far as the roster, Jaden Ivey's there. Jalen Duran is there. Isaiah Livers is there. You know, of course, it, that, that's it as far as, excuse me, James Wiseman is going to be there as well. And I would say that's it as far as players who were on the roster last season, but that's a lot. This front office, as we've seen in the last couple seasons, and excuse me, the last three summer leagues, counting this one, really likes to use summer league as just a way to get their guys some time on the court during the offseason. As it's a, I presume that anyway, it's it's a big gap between the like the end of April, beginning of May, and, uh, pardon me, sorry, uh, beginning of April. So yeah, it's a long gap between the beginning of April and these guys really getting the opportunity to play honest to goodness five on five basketball against decent opponents. I mean, it's a long, long time. So I think it gives them that opportunity, it gives them the opportunity to go out there and just, you know, have an outlet to work on a little bit of stuff during the off season and so on. I mean, but it's, it's very rare for established players to actually go out there and play in summer league. This, this front office really likes its players to play in summer league, apparently uh, much more than the average team. So those four will be there. 
I would be surprised and very pleasantly surprised if they played more than one game. Maybe Wiseman will play two. Maybe Livers will play two. I think I think Ivy and Duran will probably each just play one and maybe not even a full load of minutes. But yeah, who knows? It's possible that you'll see them play a couple of games apiece. At least I hope so, because they'll be at those games. Uh, beyond that, we'll have uh, Pistons legend Buddy Beheim and uh, outside of, and, and then of course Sasser and, and Asar Thompson, of course, needless to say. So uh, when you're looking outside of roster players and outside of draft picks, basically the purpose of all the rest of the players is to either, it's either, okay, well, we want to see, you know, we want to audition you. Maybe we'll put you on a two-way contract or sign you to our G League affiliate or something. Or it's, okay, you're a warm body to play for this team, and you may not actually play all that much. And some guys are just depth players who are not even good enough to uh, to see time in summer in, in summer league. excuse me. Uh, one of the guys for the Pistons did uh, sign to an Exhibit 10 contract, which is basically like we might convert you to an honest-to-goodness NBA contract, uh, and then we'll pay you a bonus. It's, it's basically just a trial contract of sorts. A guy named uh, Tosan Fbuomwan. I'm probably butchering his name. Uh, he's a six foot seven wing. I don't know too much about him, but you know he'll, he'll probably get minutes. Uh, Omar Rui will be on the roster again, just kind of like a known quantity. You know, we want you there. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll give you some minutes because not all the minutes are going to go to the guys who are actually on, under contract to the Pistons right now. Jared Roden, another one of the two way guys, and Stanley Amude, who's uh, plays for the Motor City Crews. Uh, another guy, Keeper Sykes, plays for the Motor City Crews, or has played for them, played for them last season anyway. Uh, basically, the majority of the guys in the roster are not really of much or any interest to the Pistons. They're just there to fill it up. And as we saw a couple seasons ago, not a couple seasons ago, last summer, you know, by game three, game four, uh, those guys probably are playing the, the vast majority of the minutes, guys who are not actually under contract to the Pistons. So uh, what to look for at Summer League, or what the Pistons, I think, will be looking for. Uh, with Ivy and, and Duran, I really don't have half a clue. I mean, these are guys who are already quite well established in the NBA. Uh, when it comes to Wiseman, I guess can you process the game? You know, if you made if you made some progress since season's end in skills and uh, decision making. When it comes to Isaiah Livers, who knows? I mean, some time on the court. You're injured a lot. Uh, go out there and shoot and try to do some more stuff. Last season, we saw him try to attack off the dribble a little bit and try to take mid-range shots a little bit. I want to caution. I just want to put out this caution about Summer League. Summer League is absolutely, and when this is done in, in good fun, cool. Like, I'm not arguing against this. It's it's rightly called overreaction season. This is a Summer League game, you know, against Summer League opposition, where which is drastically worse than the, drastically less than the, the competition people face in the NBA. And also, it's it's basically glorified pickup. So Isaiah Livers came in and hit, hit some mid-range pull-ups, but it's like, are you going to go and do those in the NBA in more difficult circumstances? Is it going to be a good shot? The answer is probably no. So I have no idea what they're even going to be looking for from Livers there. Uh, Tosan, sorry, don't want to butcher your last name again. Probably auditioning for maybe the 15 spot uh, or one of the three-way, excuse me, one of the three two-way contract slots. Uh, basically, when it comes to Asar Thompson, come in and shoot, attack the basket. When it comes to Marcus Sasser, show us what you can do off the drive as a playmaker. We already know he can shoot. Can you get to the rim and score there? Uh, I don't anticipate that really improving a great deal for a guy who's nearly 23, uh, who really wasn't able to do it very well at the at the NCAA level. But hey, come in and show your stuff. You know, are, are you now playing outside of that system? Do you have more that you can show us? And then Beheim and Roden are basically just there to to fight for their you know fight for two way slots. Roden is is signed already. I don't believe Beheim is. Uh, a lot of people wondered rightly why Beheim managed to keep a two-way slot throughout all of last season, despite the fact that he has exhibited basically no NBA upside and was not even good at the G League level, and your guess is as good as mine. So 
you know, all things considered, it'll just be fun to watch Pistons basketball again, even if a lot of the players out there are not actually Detroit Pistons. Some of them will be, of course. It'll be exciting to watch the rookies. It'll just be nice to see Ivy and Duran and Livers and hopefully Wiseman. Uh, <laughs> it's not always enjoyable to watch them play, but it'll be nice to watch them play. It'll be nice to watch them basketball again. It's been a long wait. You know, this is going to be uh, more than three months since the Pistons played their season finale. And then it's going to be another three months after this until the Pistons are, are playing NBA regular season ball again a little bit before that. Uh, they'll be playing or very shortly before that. They'll be playing uh, in preseason training camp typically begins at the end of September. So uh, in any case, uh, that's going to be it for this episode, folks. Uh, I'll be back next week with some reflections from Summer League itself. So until then, be well. Catch you in that next episode.